welcome to another episode of Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black. I am your host, Kim, and I'm so excited that you decided to tune in and listen. If this is your very first time, welcome. If you are part of the community here, welcome back. I have some exciting news to share. I am working on developing an intimate community for single moms just like you. You are looking for accountability, you're looking for support, moms in your area to make friends, and we're going to be able to do that all in one place. The membership will launch on June 1st, and you have the opportunity to be one of the founding members. I am going to open it to the first 25 moms and then I will close it and it'll open again in July. So stay tuned for more information on that. Make sure you're following me over on Instagram at single black motherhood. You're on the email list and you've liked the page on Facebook, single black motherhood. That way you do not miss out. Now, if you missed out on the last episode, I gave you guys an update about my life, so if you want to know what's going on with me, check out that episode. So today, we are talking all about mental health for children. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so what a way to just end the month. If you missed out on the episode we did called Therapy, What It Is and Why Moms Need It, definitely go check that out. It sets the basic foundation for therapy. We were going to discuss children in that episode, but we decided to break it up. So that is why we are here today. But before I hop into the episode, I wanted to talk to those of you that have girls. Positive role models are critical to showing girls what's possible when they dream bigger. The award-winning Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls podcast offers parents and teachers a free resource to inspire, educate, and instill confidence in girls. The podcast draws from the library of stories in the Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls book series and highlights one exceptional woman in each 20-minute episode, perfect before bedtime or on the way to school. The podcast introduces girls to modern icons like Oprah and Michelle Obama, as well as key her story figures like Frida Kahlo with engaging narration by equally impressive women like Gail King and Melinda Gates. One mom has even wrote me to tell me that her daughter really loves podcasts. Interviews and post-episode activities keep the learning going even after the story ends. The award-winning podcast has been named Best Family and Kids Podcast by the Webby Awards. That's like Oscars for the internet. The Best Educational Podcast by the New York Radio Awards and rated the Top Educational Podcast by iTunes. This podcast is made by Rebel Girls for Rebel Girls, which means it's told from a women-first perspective. Flipping the script on the textbooks, which have historically filtered the female experience through a male lens. Research says that only 19% of children's books showcase women with jobs or career ambition. By the age of six, many girls already believe they are less smart than boys. 54% of women over the age of 35 said that gender stereotypes they experienced as a child has left a negative impact on their lives as an adult. 
Give the rebel girl in your life the confidence to dream bigger and find good night stories for rebel girls award-winning educational podcast on your favorite player. Now, without further ado, let's hop into this episode. Hi, Elena. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you back. Welcome. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? How are you making it as we kind of get ourselves out of this quarantine? (laughs) (laughs) I am well. I'm just thankful to be able to work from home, you know. (laughs) So I don't have, I guess like most people will be going back to work and things like that, getting adjusted. don't really have that to worry about. You know, school is about to be out, so feeling good. We don't have to brag about staying at home. about therapy, what it is, and why it's important for moms. Let them know who you are. Well, hi, my name is Elena Lopez. I own a practice in Houston, Texas, heart to heart. I've been a therapist for about 13 years, work with family, children, and adults. I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I'm a registered play therapist. Awesome. So today, we are going to be talking about mental health for children. We know that there is a lot of talk about, you know, education and uh, whether schools will be back in session in the fall or what that's going to look like. But what I don't see a lot of are articles about children's mental health. So um, before we get into it, can you take a moment to briefly define mental health and mental health illnesses? Uh, Mental health is like your psychological, social, and emotional well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and behave, and and how we handle stress overall. Okay, and mental health illnesses, I I think I asked you for both of those. Okay, so a mental illness (laughs) is when you have like some type of stress that affects your mental health. So when your mental health is not the same anymore. So like if you can have a different event, or sometimes people have a, di- a chemical imbalance that can affect their he- mental health that can cause a mental illness. Okay, now what does that mean for children now and then later in adulthood? Okay, so for children, our mental health affects how we handle the different stresses that we have in our life. For example, if you want to look at it from a kid's point of view, you might have a your your child and she had a friend at school and her and his, this friend was just really good friends and all of a sudden that friend just stopped being her friend or his friend. You know, you have some children that'll be like, oh, well, I'll just get another friend. I'll make a home and talk to my mom about it. And some kids might just sit and cry about it and, you know, become really disturbed about it. So at this point, you, it starts to affect how they affect their daily actions. Or you might say, Oh, you didn't do a good job on that. Some children may start crying and just feel really affected. Some children may change what they're doing. So it just affects how children process information. And it can start, you know, for some of us, how we process information now can affect us how we affect how we process it later on in life. Yes, that leads to trauma, right? But anyways, um, how should parents even introduce the term to their kids? Is there a certain age range? Okay, so when introducing mental health to children, it it strictly depends on the child's age. Of course, you wouldn't have a conversation about mental health with a two-year-old. 
But a two-year-old or a toddler, let's just say before elementary school, is affected by what they see. You know, a parent can have a long day at work or something happened, a bad relationship, and a child and a parent could be crying. You know, if your child comes up to you and say, What's the matter, mommy? You don't have to say nothing because that's not true. You know, someone upset me today and I'm feeling a little sad. And sometimes when I feel sad, you know, I might cry. That's just letting, because, you know, crying is a healthy expression. That's just letting children know, okay, sometimes it's okay to feel a certain way. Now, like if a parent may have like a mental health diagnosis or something, and the child is a little um, older, then the, child, the parent can go into a little bit more detail about what's going on. You know, mom, sometimes her moves go up and down. Some days I feel sad. Some days I feel happy. And when I feel this way, this is when I might like to watch my favorite show. I might read. And these are things I do to make myself feel better. Because a child could be going through the same thing, but they just don't know the name of it. Yes, that is so true. But you said that it strictly goes by the child's age. So what if they are mature, though, um, than the average child their age? So I don't know, because you said, I think you used a two-year-old, but I guess, like, you know, the conversation that you have with a normal uh, five-year-old may be different from an advanced five-year-old, or is that not the case? That's very true. That's, you know, but like I say, so sometimes what I probably mean is just like maybe you don't have to go and introduce it to them. If they're coming to you at these younger ages, when they ask you questions about your mood, you can just be more honest with them about how you're feeling. People okay. have a tendency to just say if they're looking sad or they're frustrated, they're not explaining the emotion to the child. Okay, I get it. Okay. Oh, uh, everything is okay, but you're on, you're crying and screaming, <laughs> you know. Yeah, or you're yeah. talking to me right now. You're just wrapped up in your blanket, and I want to hug. And, you know, some people may isolate if they're feeling depressed or sad. So, you know, I'm sorry, baby. You know, just come lay down next to mommy. She's not feeling well today. Just okay. to give you some insight. This something ain't right right here. Okay, I get it. So basically, you're introducing mental health to your kids by way of explaining emotions. So teaching them what it feels like when you're sad or when you're depressed or when you're frustrated, angry, you know, happy. And that really helps them to communicate how they're feeling. Exactly. Now, you know, and and just going by your emotion, some people kind of can over explain to children like well me and my boyfriend broke up can you believe he found him a new girlfriend you know and kind of explaining like what can happen or just kind of introducing you to your child how you handle disappointment and everything sometimes that could be a little bit too much so just strictly sticking on explaining the emotion okay so what if you know a parent has not had those conversations with their children about emotions early on um you know just say i don't know they're either a preteen or early teenager how can they sort of sit down to discuss mental health with their kids like they notice some changes in them but you know they're not really connected on that level where they feel they can share their true emotions, or maybe they don't know how to express them because, you know, there hasn't been those type of conversations in the house. Well, and, you, and the one thing that you said stood out is just that 
what if we don't have that connection? Because sometimes you cannot have that connection and you could have been like on the discipline, discipline part of the child and they can shut out, especially at the teenage years and not want to explain. A lot of times you can just, you know, start opening up the conversation with the child to see how they respond to you. You know, lately I've just been seeing that you've been going to your room lately. We haven't been able to communicate when I want you to come to the table for dinner or you choose not to come to the table. Um, I haven't met any, any of your friends. You know, just kind of start to have those conversations with the child. Now, if your teen does not start to engage with you, I think that that will be a good time to maybe look into like some counseling or look for outside help because a lot of times when you skip stages in development or skip stages in parenting, sometimes it's just hard to kind of jump into a certain stage or like, let's just talk about your feelings and how you are feeling today when you had never asked me that. <laughs> like never yeah, ever. Why are you asking me today and you just want me to, I broke up with my boyfriend when I'm not even supposed to be having one. <laughs> You know, that might be a little bit difficult. So okay. basically yeah. start early is a good, but if we haven't started early, that's okay. Just do what you can, but then from there you can seek intervention. Yes, yes. Okay. So how does a parent's emotions play a role in their child's emotions? And you know, I guess what can they do to help the child um or help nurture the child's mental health? I guess what I'm meaning by this is like, say, for example, um, there is a mom who may be angry, right? And when the child asks them, like, what's wrong, they don't communicate what's actually wrong. They kind of shrug the child off. Um, and so that transfer, or it could transfer into the child, um, but the parent may not know that. And so I just want you, if you can, to sort of explain um, how that plays a role. It plays a large role into the child's emotions because like we said earlier, a parent could be upset about something else, kind of like that passive aggressive behavior. Something happened um, earlier today or yesterday that has nothing to do with the child or even a parent just being frustrated with their situation and then bring it, you know, it on to the child because children are going to take ownership. If they see a, just, they're going to see a parent say, just like, if a parent see a child sad or they see that their child is not thriving, a parent is immediately going to take ownership of that emotion for the child. Well, the child is going to do the same thing for the parent, you know, and they can start to, you know, cause them to have some thoughts about themselves that are unhealthy because they may think that it's about me because the parent didn't really fully explain why they're feeling that way. So that's why it's good to start as early as possible talking about emotions talking about what makes me happy, what makes me sad. I know like if I ask my children to do something and they don't do it and I'm upset because I would probably get upset, you know, I explain that emotion. You know, I'm, I'm not happy because I've asked you to do a certain task and it wasn't done. And sometimes it can help the children to understand, you know, why you feel a certain way, why you had that certain reaction. You know, besides the, the theory, it used to be just because I said so, just do it. It doesn't matter. Well, you know, this is how I feel when you don't do a certain task. And then each person, even the child, can start to understand each other's feelings. Yes. And I try that with my own child, but sometimes it's like I try to explain and explain, but ooh. <laughs> it might take more than like, like, but why 
you know, you, uh, okay, but why? You know, and she just wants to know, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> That's because one thing we have to remember about children. <laughs> children are process-oriented. Parents are results-oriented. Go clean the kitchen. Okay. No, but the children, well, why not? Why, why should not do this? And I mean, oh, it's not going to change what's going to happen or what you need for them to do. But at least we can get, you know, it's opening up the door to communication to yeah. understand each other's feelings. I'm not going to say because I'm frustrated now, you don't, you know, I see how you feel. You're not going to have to do it. You're still going to have to do everything I said. But at least I'm going to try early on to explain to you why it's important. You know, because you like, I like to tell my children, you want to spend some time with me. Well, we get these certain tasks done. <laughs> then we can have time to spend each other and everyone's emotions will be in a great place. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Now, moms, if you have been on the fence about therapy for yourself or you feel like you need some assistance with parenting more effectively, definitely consider therapy. I have grown so much as an individual and as a parent, and I can assure you that it is life-changing. I want to introduce to you BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours, so you don't have to do any research. They do it for you. Now, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for you wherever you are worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and the best thing is financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Because you are a listener here at Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black, they are offering you 10% off your first month. All you have to do is visit betterhelp.com forward slash experiencing motherhood. That's better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Now back to the episode. So I know a lot of parents are familiar with common mental health disorders, such as ADHD, anxiety, depression, you know, things like that, right? Um, But what are some other ones that they may not be familiar with? And what are some of the signs to look for? And I know you mentioned earlier about one of the signs if a, a child cannot communicate you know their feelings in their teens then that is a sign but you know what are some other things okay so like 
normally now they're trying to go into like just like mainly trying not to give children too many heavy mental health disorders at young ages so a lot of times they can get a blanket term of like mood disorder then that's going like into conduct disorder oppositional defiant those are all behaviors that's associated with um defiance and aggressive behaviors so okay. those are some of the things that some people are more familiar with and some people can say well boys are aggressive boys are active or girls could be frustrated they just you know maybe experience something but when it's more than normal you know like if you have maybe six weeks of a child that's just continuing to engage in a behavior like Two-year-olds, you know, if a two-year-old bite, that's not like, oh, my God, I, ooh, I never heard of that. But, like, if every time you turn around, they bite and kick and spit and pull and kick in the dog, no, that might not be too normal. So that child could get, like, a diagnosis of a mood disorder. Of course, you know, ADHD, you have to be very careful with that term. And one way you can look at that is if you see a child being active at home and at school, you know, or in all situations, sometimes kids can, you know, be active at school because they might feel like they're not getting a, um, enough attention at school when a teacher have to share their time with the entire class. So that can be kind of like overly diagnosed at times. But like if you have um, depression, the child seeming withdrawn, not really, you know, talking a lot. You see a, a, a big change in mood because, you know, as you grow, as the chemicals in your body change, the way you react to situations start to change even if the child has a predisposition for a mental health disorder like a parent can have a dis uh, diagnosis or something uh, along that way you know and we also in our teens because we have a lot of issues going on with body image we still have bulimia and we still have anorexia that goes on even in the african-american community there was a recent study that showed that like at least 50% of African-American teens are likely to have, you know, an eating disorder. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And this is something nobody really talks about. I've honestly never heard of this statistic until you just mentioned it. And when and that was one of the things like if uh, well, we can get into that when looking for help, but like just it's really important to look at because you have to think now we have so many teens looking at youtube you know instagram you have movies and everybody's working on their body trying to get those perfect curves trying to get their booty right <laughs> you know you want to look picture perfect even before your time and a lot of times you know, these kids, you know, and then you have the healthy eating craves that's going on. Okay, what should we eat? I had a client one day that she ate three slices of avocado and a cup of coffee. And she was like 16. And, you know, the parent was like, well, she's eating. But I'm like, three pieces of avocado for the entire day. And comes to find out, you know, of course, she had anorexia which I referred her to an anorexia and bulimia specialist because they are specific, and that's more normally linked to depression and anxiety. They probably hadn't been expressed. So uh, something could have occurred at school where so they could have been teased about their body or maybe not fitting in or maybe want to join the cheerleading squad or the dance team and didn't feel like their body image was appropriate. So you know, of course, they may not feel like, well, I can go and talk to my parents about that because, you know, your parents going to say, baby, you're beautiful just the way you are. You know, then they'll go and try to handle this on their own, which, you know, can go into the binge eating. 
You know, you have the self, self-induced vomiting. You have kids that are teens mainly that are looking into like laxatives, you know, misusing the laxatives and complaining about body image, um, um, not feeling good about themselves when you're, they're given a, a compliment. You look good? No, I don't. You start to start seeing the oversized clothes a lot of the times around the home. Those are all signs of eating disorders that you want to look into. And do you think that kind of starts within the household too? Because I don't know. I think if you start working and, you know, I'm not a professional, but if you start working with the kids early on, practicing like body positivity about yourself, I mean, you're kind of modeling that behavior, but I don't know. Do they not pick that up if you're doing that and they, they change because they're going through like a developmental stage or I don't know, where does that kind of stem from, I guess, is my question. It could be all of the above. Okay. You know, you have some people that are trying to promote positive body images and body health, but sometimes when something, that, and that's mental health, when you start to have unhealthy thoughts feed into your mind, mm-hmm. you know, you can start to believe them. You know, and so no matter what, you know, your parents no are saying. What someone's saying, if you're looking at it, just like, you know, just like when you look at someone who may have anorexia and they may weigh like 90 pounds, mm-hmm. five feet, five, five feet, five inches, you know, and they're like, oh, well, you know, where well, I'm now, I'm at 80 pounds and I'm still too big. I'm still, we can know, okay, that is, you know, psychological. There's no way you can look in the mirror and see this, but that's what their mind is telling them at that particular time. You know, you may have a parent who's trying to work with their child on their body image and may not. You know, each situation is different. But one of the things a parent can try to do, maybe if they see that their child is, you know, starting to try to diet in an unhealthy way, is sometimes it's just hard to kind of directly talk to them about it because most of the time they're going to deny it. But maybe say, oh, okay, you into healthy eating, okay. Well, you know, mama trying to get that hot girl summer too. So let's go ahead and let's, you know, let's make some shakes together. Let me show you. Make sure you get a little protein in here and let's get a little spinach in this shake and trying to show them. But if, you know, the child kind of shuts you out, but you can still see, I noticed that she took some laxatives or I know that they did something. You know, you might want to talk to their their pediatrician about it because nine times out of 10, they're going to try to deny it. Okay. Very interesting. Now, um, I do know that mental health is important to overall health because a lot of stuff starts in the mind. Like you were saying earlier, a lot of decisions are made based off of like our thoughts, right? Um, But with the mental health disorders that you just mentioned, or even just mental health disorders in general, do they ever go away completely? Or does it vary um, according to the disorder? It can vary. um, A lot of the times from what I can see, a lot of times they could be managed very well. Think it like if you have a predisposition for anxiety or depression, how you manage your mental health is very important. Now we're like on the self-care kick. You see a lot of people posting and talking about self-care, self-care, especially in the minority community, because that was like an obsolete term. A lot of us grew up seeing our parents work down to the bone and who just have time to go relax or lay down or watch a movie or just do things that's leisure. And a lot of times that can take toll on your development. And sometimes when we have people who are dismissing mental health and depression, okay, I'm feeling overwhelmed. This is my time to go and sit down. 
when you don't have people that's, you know, helping you, encouraging you to say, okay, yes, that's maybe something you should do. Yeah, it can help cause your um, mental health to deteriorate. So if you have a mental health diagnosis and you get a good handle on it young, at a young age, or if you get a handle on it when you start to notice these symptoms and signs, there are people who can manage throughout a lifetime without, you know, most people's concern is, will I have to take medication? without taking the medication. Sometimes medication is given because it, it's like sometimes people's first reaction. You know, okay, you know what? If I tell my doctor about it, then I might get a prescription. You start to feel a little better and you just leave it right there. You don't go into the counseling. You don't go into the management of it. Like, you know, some people like, you know, the self-care in the morning, I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna read a devotional. I might, you know, just need to meditate. Um, for a couple of minutes, just to get my mind, my energy into a good space. You know, once you start to understand the importance of that and the impact that it has on your daily being, because you know your mental health is how you handle stress and yourself each day. So if you start off learning good strategies, it can last a lifetime. Okay, that's good. Now I have a couple questions, right? So one I have is that just to make sure I understood you correctly, um, you said that some people can give prescriptions, but they don't go into the management part of the issue. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Because I do recall talking to someone and they mentioned that um, they have been feeling really anxious and they just called their, I guess, primary care doctor and mm -hmm. they just sent them in a script for some anxiety medication. Mm -hmm. and so they would just take that as needed. And so I don't know. I just feel like, you know, if they just do that all the time and they never try to learn, I guess, how to manage it, do, does their body become dependent on the drugs if they constantly take it all the time? Or am I just getting too deep into that? I mean, in certain situations, it can, because you haven't figured anything else out. So it is important for them to understand the condition that they have or the state that their mind is in so that they can learn how to cope along with medication if it's needed. Yes, and understand that there, there are alternatives to cope with these thoughts and feelings. And sometimes, like, I've had people come in for therapy, and they're in a dark, dark place at this point. The chemo, there are chemicals their chemical balance is just not in a good place. And sometimes they may need to get started on a uh, prescription to kind of balance them out, to be able to receive the information. Mm -hmm. And then once they begin the therapy process, along with the medication, a lot of times they're just, you know, they're winged off. I'll use my own child as an example. My oldest daughter, she does have um, ADHD, attention deficit disorder. And as a therapist, I had every way in the world that I'm going to work with them. I'm going to you know, spend more time with her. We're going to, I'm going to help with the homework. I'm going to go eat lunch with her. I'm going to give her as much individual time that I could. But it got to the point that, you know, her adrenaline was just up. She was falling on the floor in the classroom. So her third grade year, I decided to get her a prescription of Oakland. It was the hardest decision I had to make, even though I have these, I have these conversations with people every day. But she took it for her third grade year. We kept with strategies. I even had her in therapy and she was able to balance out to where she doesn't need it anymore. And I'm so thankful that I went on ahead and said, okay, let's go ahead and do this for this year. Because if I would have let her keep sinking, it was going to get hard to pull her back up. 
Okay. So, you know, sometimes you have to look. Sometimes you can try strategies, strategies. You're going to try the, the natural route and see what happens. Okay, this was successful. I don't need any medication. Okay, I'm still having trouble. And then, you know, the more they start to have these behaviors and can't control themselves, or even a person with depression or anxiety, the, the, the more it affects your self-esteem. Because at a certain point, you know something's not right, but you just don't know how to fix it. Wow, that is, oh my gosh, that is so interesting that you said that because I don't know, sometimes I like have this thought that, you know, just based on conversations that I have with some people, I, I can kind of see that they have some self-esteem issues when they talk about having anxiety. So now that you mentioned that they're connected, it just makes a lot of sense. But anyways, I want to go back to you know, the parents' emotions playing a role in a child's emotions, but mm -hmm. not necessarily that, but, um, you know, I think you mentioned predisposition, like a mm -hmm. child could have a predisposition for anxiety. Can you explain what predisposition means? Because I don't know if everybody understands that, and then I'll ask you my question. Well, it basically means if they have a family history, <laughs> if it's a bloodline. <laughs> So a lot of times it might be, but not diagnosed. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you have anxiety or depression, your child is at risk. You know, they are predisposed. Uh, because mental health and mental illness is the same as physical health. Just like when we go to the doctor, they say, do you have a family history of high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer? So guess what that means? We have a predisposition. Mental health is the same way. So our mental health and we have our physical health. Okay, that's very important for people to know, I think. Um, so that's good. Thank you for that. Okay, so I know that therapy can improve mental health, but it also depends on what the child is dealing with as to whether therapy alone can help. We just talked about medication. What happens if parents don't seek the treatment? that they need. And I think you dug into this a little bit when you talked about your daughter and you said if you didn't seek treatment early on, it would have been harder to get her back up. So I think you kind of spoke to that. But, you know, just say if the parents know, like they know their child has ADHD, they're showing all of the signs, but they're like, no, I'm going to try this. I'm going to continue to do this. Or they may just say they're not worried about it. They're going to just whoop them, you know, because a lot of us have been taught to beat, beat the kids. Um, growing up. So what do you have to say about that? <laughs> well, you know, my thing is like, for me, I've tried everything. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> so I could just use that as an example. You know, so if, you, if you're saying, okay, well, I'm just going to use physical discipline, you know, okay, but is it working? Is it getting my child to where my child needs to be? If my child went to school, you know, sometimes you have to stop and you have to put your mind into the, to the mind of a child. You know, it's my child that I'm raising every day just going to school and deliberately trying not to pay attention. <laughs> Are they deliberately trying not to finish their schoolwork? Have I explored any other possibility as to why they're not doing this? You know, um, if my child is dealing with anxiety, she's nervous and scared and timid. Is this something I did? Because one thing about parents is that when your child is having a behavior concern, you instantly put it on yourself. You don't think about mental health. You don't feel like chemical imbalance. You don't think about any of these things. You think that your child may be acting away because of your parenting. 
So if my child is acting a certain way, then I need to do something about it. It's me. And a lot of times it's hard to reach out for help because you don't want to look bad or you don't want to make somebody to think that maybe, you know, you've done something wrong. Majority of the, the parents that bring their children in for therapy is because either they have been, the teacher said, well, the teacher said they're not acting right in school. The teacher said this and the teacher said that. Well, what do you think? Well, this is what the teacher said. Never really answered what you think. Or I work with the I work with Children's Protective Services. They're brought in because they have to be brought in, you know. Or they're brought in because the child acts. I'm not feeling like myself, and I want to know: Can I speak to somebody? Because you know, mental health is a little bit more out there. It's introduced to them at school now. It's introduced to them like on YouTube and some of the little things that they look at. Even if you look at um, some of these cartoons, it's a small emphasis on, on mental health. So if you're seeing whatever strategy that you're using is not working, well, then it's time to try, you know, something a little different. It might be hard because you want to do it your way, but what we're looking at is just making sure that we're getting the best version of our children as possible. Yes, and I know we talked about mainly ADHD, but what about anxiety and depression if left? untreated you know no counseling no you know medical treatment or anything um i think you know without being a professional that if they don't learn how to cope with those thoughts as children then it goes into adulthood and then it's much worse you know they're always on edge they don't know how to handle their emotions um just my thoughts but you know from a professional <laughs> point of view to the definition of mental health that you asked in the very first question. How we handle stress, relate to others, and make choices. So if you haven't learned that at an early age, you're starting to feel stressed out, like I cry when I'm frustrated, or I go to, I stay to myself. You know, a lot of times children are saying physical pain, you know, like my stomach hurt, or I'm scared. Because they're having these thoughts, but they really don't know how to explain them. You know, kind of going into one of the, you know, the, the techniques that we do with um, children is play therapy. Because children don't know how to say, you know, like for us, you, you could say, I'm just frustrated. Oh, these people just made me mad at work today. I'm just feeling anxious. I'm nervous. I'm thinking about things that I don't need to be thinking about. I'm just not feeling good about myself. We can articulate that. But kids can have the same thoughts but cannot articulate that. Yeah. And I think that that comes into, you know, how the parents are teaching them to communicate, right? Because, you know, my yeah. daughter is seven, and she will tell you that she is frustrated. She will tell the person that she's talking to that she's frustrated. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, a lot of kids her age, you know, they don't even know what frustrated means. Because you're open. You communicate with your child. <laughs> so, you know, she can feel comfortable with you saying, I feel frustrated. You know, there's some people who will bring them in that we're doing an intake. I don't know what she needs to be feeling frustrated or mad about. She have everything. When I was a child, you know, we had to walk nine miles to get water. Oh my God. In the refrigerator and you sitting here crying. She say she have anxiety, but I guess what you gonna do? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> you know, these are real conversations. I'm not making this up. So, you know, the thing about that is, you know, we have to validate the children's feelings, like what you asked earlier. When is it a good time to start discussing mental health? When you start acknowledging somebody's feelings are valid. As an adult, 
even in a relationship, we want to know that our feelings are valid. If you tell your mom, your man, your sister, your brother, your I don't, I feel sad. Well, what's the matter? Oh, you ain't got nothing to be sad about. Oh, you don't want to hear that. You want somebody to answer your question and comfort you and just validate. You have the right to feel sad right now. You know, even like my my daughter, sometimes my husband kind of gives me side out, but you know, my daughter, she screams. She still has, she's not healed yet. <laughs> Still going through the process. <laughs> she's still like she's not here yet with this first rate, and she'll scream, and she might be screaming because her sister's mess and whatnot. Say you have a right to be mad right now. You do. If somebody came and took my sock out of my room, I would be angry too. But what you don't have a right to do is scream and yell and kick or do something that's out of control. If you are frustrated, this is how you deal with. It. You know, but a lot of times we do. Just like you said earlier, you screaming, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to beat your butt if you keep doing all that screaming. I'm tired of it. And then that child going to stop screaming because I don't want to get my butt beat. But guess what? Next to the next day, you're going to start screaming again. And you're going to go in there with your belt in your hand, your paint stick, your, your boxing gloves, whatever. Did that sound I want? Look, say do it again. I'm just going to take everything out of here because I'm sick of it. But have you ever talked to the child? Okay, because guess what? That child gonna get frustrated, you're gonna get frustrated. So when I get frustrated, what do I do? Yep, that's so good. <laughs> oh yes, answer your questions, yep. You know, these emotions are gonna keep going. So what I'm doing is trying to start right now, even with my clients, you know, you, know, you get a recap of the week. Okay, so what happened? So how did you deal with it? How could you have done a better job? And sometimes that's where a therapist comes in play, because Honestly, some parents just might be over it or may have multiple children, multiple stresses going on, and you might not be in a place just to go there with your child. And that's where you get your circle of support. Because if I can't do it, I'm going to find someone who can. I'm going to find a method that can help you. Because one day you might pick up that belt and hurt the child. You know, back in the day, they didn't say nothing. Now they say everything, okay? I'm telling you. Oh, my gosh. I was thinking earlier. My daughter was just, <laughs> well, this and that. And, and I'm just like, man, if this was me 10, 15 years ago, my grandmother would have been knocked me down to the ground. <laughs> yep, I mean, that's true. And then, you know, so, and, that, and that's some of the psychological things we're dealing as parents trying to, you know, redo the way we do things. And sometimes you say, am I making the right choice? Because I remember if you just even parted your lips, pow, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> Don't let them be talking on the phone, having an adult conversation, and you come in trying to get into their conversation, it's over. <laughs> Hold on for one minute. You might use the phone, I mean. So we, we trying to rewrite these scripts. And boy, let me tell you, they, let, they making us put in some work for <laughs> it. <laughs> but anyways, I know some parents want to be proactive and find a therapist for their kids before a mental health disorder develops because of their current circumstances. Um, do you recommend this? And is there a such thing as putting your child in therapy too young or too early? No, I mean, it depends on the situation for some, you know, you, they may have been through a divorce and 
you know, or a, a big separation, or maybe like a parent been in a relationship for a long time and then they separate. And you know, a parent may have a reason, many reasons for ending that relationship, but then a child had a relationship with that person too. And sometimes people could be harboring to so much pain from the relationship, they may not be in a space where they can talk to their child about in a healthy place. Now, the child may not be exhibiting any symptoms or signs of, you know, being affected by it, but, you know, you may say, hey, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and just take them in and have them talk to somebody just to ensure, because I might not be in the space, because they might be like, you know, what happened to John? Why he's going, he ain't nothing, you know? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I should have <laughs> what he did yesterday. And the child like, oh, I just want to, and then, you know, Maybe the child can help the parent with discussing, you know, situations like that. Or if you see a child might be adjusting, you might see your child like overly emotional. They cry about every situation. Uh, maybe be extremely timid, you know, struggle with making friends, you know, struggle with expressing themselves. If you could start to see these things early on, then no, it's not too early, you know. And then maybe sometimes in like around, um, preteen middle school that's when everybody child's ready for some type of something <laughs> you know you could bring them in and just start have someone start talking to them about their changes i i look at it as a circle of support because these things that we're going to go through in life are going to they're going to happen you know you're going to go through these changes situations are going to be different that can affect your, your um your health and sometimes you know, maybe early in intervention can um, teach your child that a circle of support and that your feelings, your thoughts matter. Even if I'm not in the space where I want to talk about, talk to you at this time. Okay, now I will share this one example and the mom that asked this question and I hope, you know, this is okay, but I won't, you know, call her name or anything, but I'll just sort of explain the situation. So she mm -hmm. has a child, her child is between four and five, right? And her father and mother are no longer together, of course. Um, he is on drugs, and he sort of neglects her. So she will see him whenever she visits her grandparents, and he acts as if, like, she's just not there. And so the mom fears that her child feels as if she's neglected. Like, her dad doesn't feel like he wants to talk to her or anything like that, and she really can't you know, process those emotions because she's only, like I said, a four or five. She just sees like that. She tries to talk to her dad, but he's not interested in talking to her or he doesn't act like, you know, he wants to give her a hug or anything like that, like no type of emotions. But then sometimes, you know, she might see him at the grandparents' house and he's actually, hey, how you doing? You know, like, you know, he's talking and, you know, active with her. But sometimes he's not, and so she's considered putting the child in therapy, but she wonders if the child is too young. Definitely not young, because that's a traumatic experience. You know, that child is having an experience right now of a, of a parent that has a, a substance abuse issue, which is a sickness. And sometimes, you know, not explaining that, oh, your, your, your father has this particular but addiction problem, but that your your child your your dad is ill, and that sometimes and the therapist can work with the child just understanding the effects of people who may not be feeling well at certain points of their lives, and just to let the child know that it's not them, because now the child may take ownership of those feelings and feel neglected. Because how can you not feel neglected if I see my dad and he don't talk to me? Mm -hmm. So and it could be 
an emotional situation for that parent to just kind of be transparent about the topic when talking to her child about it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, you know, some of these sessions, can parents be included or do they have to be with the child only? Or how does a therapist determine whether, you know, the parent will be involved or not? Because I know there are like family sessions where, you know, the parent can come in a child, but then there's also like just sessions for the child. And so I don't know how it's determined or anything like that, but I'm sure you can speak to that. Okay. So, you know, therapy is normally individual based. <laughs> so the child will normally participate in the therapy session alone because that's when we're trying to get the different side of the child to give the child a different safe space and you know the therapist has no idea what could be going on at home to where the child might not have that be their safe space everybody's situation is different mm -hmm. you know but you know just giving the child enough and the child may have a concern about the parent or anything but the objective is is to give the child a safe space a safe opportunity to express themselves and to be able to talk about what's going on with them. Now, of course, as a registered play therapist, you know, play, and the reason why I became a play therapist because I worked with children for many years prior to becoming a registered play therapist. And as I started to learn more about play therapy, I, I realized that this is the way that all children should participate in therapy. And it's not like talk therapy, like you talk to an adult, hey, how you doing today? What's going on? You're in the playroom, you know, you have your toys. You're full of interaction because play is a child's language. A child could feel fluid when expressing themselves in play therapy. You start to see things with the child through their play. So the child and the child is going to feel way more comfortable than being in the situation where you're doing a worksheet or you're being drilled with questions. Now, play therapy could be interactive. You can have family sessions to where the therapist works alone. Some therapists have two-way mirrors where the, uh, they can watch the child through the glass and the child doesn't know. So the child's being expressive. So like say for instance, the child introduces some theme in the class in the room where they might, you know, start fighting with the dolls, you know, but that's gonna, it's, that's gonna demonstrate some type of stresses in the house. A parent can look, might have an expression, but they know why that child doing that. So, you know, so that can help with that. And then, you know, towards the end of the session, you can bring the parent in. It, it just all depends on what's needed for that particular situation. Now, when they're younger, of course, you're going to try to incorporate the parent into some session to help, to help them be able to work through those things that were identified. But once the children get older, then most of the time it's um, private, individualized. Of course, teen sessions are private. And, you know, the, of course, the parents are only notified about, you know, any concerns or maybe strategies that the parent can use at home with the child. Okay, that's really good information to know. What types of therapy are most common for kids? For kids, you play therapy, <laughs> of course. You know, and cognitive behavior therapy. Those would be your two main therapies for um, children and teens. And of course, behavior therapy where you're just trying to help, you know, redirect behaviors, you know, teaching children and cognitive behavior ch therapy, where you're trying to teach them how to redirect behaviors. Okay. At this point, you know, parents are now a little educated 
and they are starting to think, well, hmm, I see some signs in my child and I'm a little concerned. Where would they begin this whole process of, you know, checking up on their child's mental health? The first step is pediatrician. You know, you can talk to the pediatrician. You can let the pediatrician say, hey, you know, I'm starting to see this X, Y, Z. And so then, you know, for the, for the person that, for the parent that just feels more comfortable that maybe I want to talk to someone else, you know, before I just go and find a therapist. I always say a pediatrician and a neutral person because sometimes you can talk to a friend about things, uh, a relative, and you might not get the response you're always looking for. You might say, you know, I'm just having a hard time getting, you know, my child to go to sleep. Every time it's, they're so anxious, they're jumping in the bed, moving around. And then you might have a friend say, well, I never had that problem with my child. And I tell my child to go to sleep, they go to sleep. <laughs> well, good for you, but I'm having these troubles right now. So, you know, I need a little support here. So, you know, talking to the, um, the pediatrician, and having a pediatrician direct you into the direction of a good mental health professional will be a great first step. Okay, awesome. So pediatrician and then asking them for a referral, or I guess they would just give you one if they actually see that there's an issue. Yes. Okay. Now, you know, in some situations, you would go to the teacher first, right? Or no situations at all. Uh, I mean... Not really, because the teacher can pretty much give you their observation based on classroom behavior. And, you know, I think that, you know, you use what the teacher has given you, and then you think about how their behavior might be connected to outside of your classroom. Now, sometimes if the, te if the child is having some chronic issues and the teacher has brought to your attention that, okay, your child is doing this and you're doing that, and you've maybe tried your strategies to redirect the child at home, and you're not seeing any type of improvements, then, you know, first of all, then you can have a meeting with the teacher. Okay, so what's going on in the classroom? Where do you see it? Where do you do this? And all these different things. Because, you know, everybody's situation at home to then when they go to school is different um, as to why their behavior might be a certain way at school versus home. So after that, and you tried your strategies, then maybe you can look into additional help but I don't really think the teacher at this point is after the teacher has given you the concern is the person that you would do the follow-up conversation with that about that child's behavior. Okay. And if the teacher doesn't want to meet about it, <laughs> just, I don't know. You know, I remember having a conversation with my daughter's teacher, you know, she said, Oh yeah, you should have her tested. But then when I asked to observe the class, she was like, oh, I think we got it handled. Okay, so, okay. <laughs> you see why my answer is, look, I'm going to tell you, prior to being a therapist, I was a teacher for 10 years, okay? So I know both angles, so I'm not trying to sound, downplay teaching or anything like that, but I can know your experience in both places. And so, you know, sometimes... You know, it could be class management. It's not always, but sometimes it could be. Sometimes, you know, your child could be, you know, a little anxious in the classroom. You know, it could be a, a teaching style. It could be because they're a lot, around, a, a lot of external stimuli. You know, it's different from home where it could be more quiet and laid back. They get to school, it's like, okay, I got all these people around. 
you know, it's a little show right now. So it's a it's a variety of reasons why a child could act in school a certain way. But definitely, you did the perfect thing. Let's have a classroom observation. Let's sit down and talk about it. You don't want to do those things? Well, I guess everything is okay. This <laughs> is all gravy, baby, in here. Because if a child is truly having these concerns, then we need to go into more dialogue about it before I get my child tested, get my child a label, and possibly taking medication. Yeah, and you know there's this big stigma with African-American children and ADHD. So we have to be very careful about that but not discounting that it's an actual issue, but just, you know, being mindful of how they try to label our kids. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes, like I said, as, some, as a person who's had to deal with this personally, you know, I see the difference at school and at home. And if we're going somewhere, I see the poor impulse control. I see the struggle with controlling emotions and I saw a decrease in grades. You know, and that's the one that's really difficult for people to admit because a lot of times when parents come in, they'll say, oh, yeah, they're a little anxious, they're talkative, but their grades are great. The grades are perfect because I feel like if I acknowledge all of those things, I've done something wrong. And I felt the same way. I was like, but, uh, I, you know, when I was pregnant, I ate all healthy food. And I did this. <laughs> I'm a therapist. Don't she know that? And, I'm, you know, I read stories. We play. I give you attention. You know, but then certain things, and then you go into the study of things that causes ADHD. Where we live in, you know, I take good care of her. <laughs> but I had a very, very traumatic childbirth. I found some links to that. So I have to, you know, admit it. So like I said, it, it, it can be over-diagnosed. Um, for some people, it can be a way out. You might have a little boy that's just really active. Let me go ahead and give him some, you know, this vocal and he'll chill out for a moment. And it works. And it's nothing else to think about. But like you said, you don't want to do it if you don't necessarily have to. Yes, absolutely. So now the parents have found a therapist for their children um, and they get to the office. What are some of the first questions they should ask or should they just allow the therapist to do all the talking? Okay, so one of the things like, you know, looking for the therapist, because some pediatricians might give a, a referral and some may not. You know, one good place to look for a child therapist is the um, a National Play Therapy Associ Association. In each state, if you go like to the website, they have, in each state, they have a list of all registered play therapists. And those are people that you know are specialized to work with children. So you will know that if you, you know, contact one of these people, they're going to know from A to B to Z on how to work with the child. So um, I just feel like when you're going in for your initial assessment with your uh, child's therapist, um, just ask them, ask them questions about, you know, how long they've been working with children, what's their method a lot of parents are really kind of creeped out sometimes they don't really like play therapy because they think that you just go in the room and play but if it's a lot of um, scientific <laughs> things that go into that you know those moments so just asking them their, their standard their um the way that they're going to interact with the child how would they be involved so if it's a parent that wants to be more active in the session. How can I be active? I would like to learn strategies 
just you know asking whatever questions that need to be asked asked at the beginning of the session okay and so what are some things they should expect i guess because like you said most of them are play therapy so do they kind of ask assessment questions at the very beginning you know okay. get, you know insight on the child's history or do they get that from the pediatrician how does that all work no if the pediatrician sees something then they're going to automatically just give you the referral and uh therapists will do assessment so the assessment is normally with the parent so the therapist, each therapist does a little different. Sometimes you can have the parent and the child, or sometimes you can have the child and only the parent, um, and just trying to get all the background information. Now, you know, sometimes some people don't really like a lot of the assessment questions that therapists may ask, because there's two questions that I always like, have you ever been harmed, and have you ever harmed yourself? You know, many parents don't like those questions, especially if their child is young. Cause they're like well what kind of question is that but there are children that self-harm there are children that commit suicide and we just have to be and sometimes we don't know what kids are talking about amongst each other at school or what they see on youtube a lot of times we learn our kids we feel like we have everything blocked and then they go in there what is that you look at so you know it's good or some kids may have experienced those types of things within their family and because it's that child's normal, can talk about it with your child as freely because it's normalized. So it's going to be a lot of in-depth personal questions. They may ask the parent if they have any history of mental health concerns. And the parent may be like, you know, what this got to do with me? I brought my child in. But just to know that, you know, how you think and behave, just like when you go to the doctor, you have a history of diabetes and high blood pressure. The same thing is going to go for the child. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, do you have any final tips for the moms when it comes down to mental health for their children? You know, I just think the most important thing is just to stay open, acknowledging the children's feelings at an early age as much as possible. Just let them know that their thoughts and matters behave. You know, if they're crying, you know, let's just use phrases like, why are you crying? What's the matter? How can mommy help you versus what are you doing? Just stop all that crying. Nobody want to hear that. Not saying that people doing that, but, you know, sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. You know, have mental health moments. You know, sometimes maybe on, you know, Friday nights if you have time with your child. You know what? You know, mommy likes to watch a movie at night. So maybe, you know, Friday nights, just doing some type of self-care with your child. Let's maybe watch a movie together. Let's go on a walk. You know, this is it just introducing them to things that you may do to make to help you feel better. And it's starting to introduce to the child how to take care of their own personal health. Yes, that's awesome. Well, Elena, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking out the time to chat with me today. And I know that a lot of moms will benefit from this information. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can connect with Elena on Instagram at Elena Hart, number two, Hart. You can visit her website at Hart, number two, HartServices.org. And I'll link her information in the show notes. That way you can go right there. She definitely dropped a lot of gems. And I hope you were able to take away something from this episode. 
If you have not taken the time out to leave a review, please take a moment to do so over on Apple Podcasts. If you are listening on SoundCloud, you can leave us a comment. Otherwise, you can always feel free to shoot me a DM or send me an email, singleblackmotherhood at gmail.com. I am always open to hearing your feedback. Thank you so much for taking out the time to listen. I really appreciate it. And until next episode, I will chat with you later. Thank you.